Hi everyone, Cheryl Cran here. I'm really excited about today's podcast and my special guest, Karen Monja. I'm going to read her introduction and then we'll get right into the questions and our dialogue because I can't wait. Uh, we have an incredible person here with us today. So Karen Monja is a WSJ bestselling author and one of the most sought after thought leaders in the world, sharing her thought leadership with over 15,000 organizations during the course of her career. She's the author of four books, including Success From Anywhere, Create Your Own Future of Work From the Inside Out, and as well as three others, a prolific blogger and sought after media interview. She has been featured in Forbes and regularly contributes to Thrive Global, Authority Magazine, and ZDNet. Thinkers 360 named her as number nine on their list of global thought leaders and influencers on health and wellness, number 12 for mental health, and one of the top 150 B2B thought leaders to follow. And I'd like to add, she's a vice president of customer and market insights at Salesforce. And so, Karen, we'll talk more about your insights and such in the podcast. And for those listening, there's the video option as well as the listening option. But uh, again, thank you for joining us. I, I appreciate it truly and really looking forward to hearing from you. My pleasure. It's great to be here. I, my home <laughs> office is less lonely. We're, we're connecting. <laughs> isn't, isn't technology a good thing? Isn't remote and hybrid workplace a beautiful thing? You know, if, if there's any positive out of the COVID, that, that's, I would say, one of the big ones. Would you agree? I would agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's get into future work. What, what I found interesting, I was looking at your books and all your prolific work and everything else. You come at future of work from a number of angles, um, you, you customer focus, uh, health and well-being. Um, tell me a little bit about how you how you come at future of work from inside job. Tell myself and my listeners what you mean by that. Yeah. I know at multiple points along my career, and you, you and your listeners may be able to relate to this, I looked for an expected work to do a lot of things for me. Like, not only provide a living, but also sometimes camaraderie and community and acceptance and approval and belonging. And probably ultimately for all of us, that feeling that we are successful and that on some level that what we are doing matters. And I started thinking during the pandemic pause, when we were down to essentially keep ourselves and the people we cared about well, Mm -hmm. work and just try to survive and take good care of ourselves. Ideally in that time when life was greatly simplified, I started thinking a lot more about changing my relationship with work. And what I realized in those quiet moments is that all of those things that we look for work to do for us are actually available inside of us. Mm -hmm. And when I no longer needed work to give me approval or acceptance or belonging or, you know, this elusive feeling or definition of success, I noticed I started showing up differently at work and work started showing up differently for me. It, it was like the pandemic was an opportunity to change our relationship with work. And that got me thinking mm -hmm. success and constructing a future of work that works for everyone really comes from the inside out. Yeah. And I, I absolutely, one of the things that struck me when looking at your work was how aligned you and I are and how we have so much in common in, in the way we are approaching future of work from a, 
um, a personal future, create your personal future reality based on mindset, based on strategies, based on, you know, what you want to create for yourself. And it's interesting. Um, I too, and I think this is a majority of who we're, who we're talking to and who are listening is you went through an identity reinvention through COVID. And I know for me as well, it's like after having years and years of focusing on career and, and talking about work-life balance, COVID actually pushed the agenda of what is my identity. And if my identity is really what I do, then that's not really a lot of depth or meaning. It's it's really got to be more than that. So um, I encourage everybody to pick up your book. I have it in my ebook reader queued up. I've read a few snippets, but I'm, it's on my list. It, it looks fascinating and I love the angle you've taken on it. So my next question is, you know, it's interesting. I've been talking future of work for over a decade. Uh, I actually talked about it when I wrote my book, 101 Ways to Make Generations X, Y, and Zoomers Happy at Work. And it's really grown. I mean, I have Google alerts for future of work. And now everybody, every organization is talking about it. Some organizations have future of work um, CEO, like, you know, senior executive roles focused on the future of work. Um, well, how do you think the topic's grown? And what do you think it means for companies? You know, now we're in a post-pandemic reality. And from your role as VP of like, what do you see as the future of work and what it means for companies? Yeah. The future of work is about a conversation, about co-creation between employers and employees. And so often what I hear and experience and I'm a part of right now is thinking about how to close the gap between what employers are willing to offer and what employees expect. And if you think about that as kind of a Venn diagram, right, two circles coming together between employer and employee, what we're looking for is that intersection in the middle that leads us to create choices that we can sustain. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite examples of this is General Mills. Now, you might recognize them as the people whose business we all patronized extensively during the pandemic. I mean, Apparently, we were all going to be on the Great British Baking Show, right? <laughs> Simultaneously, all competing. And so you think about the strain that the workers were under, and well-intentioned leaders listened to them and heard the stories of burnout like we all have, and they wanted to do something about it. So they offered their employees the predictable PTO, right? The extra PTO. And they were shocked when fewer than 8% of their employees opted in to that program and burnout continued to, well, <laughs> burn, right? And exactly. Exactly. So they stepped away and got curious. And this is what I love about their story. They decided to get curious, which is a skill we could all tap into more right now, curiosity. And they said, well, what is it that would get people excited? So they did deep listening to what mattered to their employees. And they went back last year to that same set of employees and rolled out what they called the gift of choice program. And within that, employees had three choices, more PTO, more pay, a literal check for cash yep. or donation to a not-for-profit of your choosing. And within 24 hours, 84% of their employees had opted into the gift of choice program. Now think about that. 8% mm -hmm. to 84% were onto something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The most shocking discovery of the gift of choice program was the number one choice, more PTO. Now think about that. The employer got to the exact outcome they wanted yes. by offering a choice rather than a mandate. Mm -hmm. 
And I mean, that's at the core of mm-hmm. this question. We've all been asking ourselves what matters, right? Yeah. We're all wanting meaning, not mandates. Yes, agreed with you. And and I like the the terms you use, deep listening. One of the things that I talk about in my book, Super Crucial Human, is is crowdsourcing. It it's it, it's it you can't just you can't, especially in hybrid and post-pandemic, you cannot lay an edict on everyone and say, This is what we're going to do. It doesn't work anymore. It, they people need to feel like they had a choice in creating. So I love that story. It's a great one. So in your opinion, because uh, I think I know the answer to this, but I'd love to hear your, your answer on this, is 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 what's caused the great resignation? Because I, I think it's linked to meaning. What's your thoughts? What the pandemic revealed is in so many ways, what we've been settling for that doesn't serve us. And what has changed is that we're willing to do something about it. You know, we were just talking about settling for mandates when our deepest desire is for meaning. Yeah. Well, beyond that, we've settled for, you know, acceptance or approval when we're looking really for acceptance. And we also, in so many ways, settle for blending when our deepest desire is for belonging. Hmm. And see what happens, I think, inside of so many organizations is we reward people for becoming masterfully adaptable, right? The people that look around and figure out how to kind of blend into the environment and, you know, look the look and talk the talk, as it were. Mm -hmm. And what people are saying is, I want to feel a sense of belonging, where I really am myself here, that I'm part of a community, where I'm contributing, I feel a sense of ownership, and also that I can be myself and that I can realize my full potential here. And when that's missing, that true authentic belonging inside of organizations, people are now leaving to find or create that in other ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. And I think, you know, the, the I, I always say that the great resignation is a symptom of what's been going on for decades. It, it really has the, what, what the pandemic did was accelerate and illuminate the choices through remote work, through self-employment, through freelance, through contract work, that people were not beholden to an employer any longer, that they had choice. And so that, and then in that choice is I choose to work for organizations that that have a sense of belonging. So that, that's excellent. Um, you know, it's funny at Next Talk, Next Mapping, we talk about the future is now. There is no far off event. It's now and we're creating it every day in our thoughts and our behaviors and our actions. How do you think people can create the future of their careers? Because I know this is an area that you talk about. So I'd love to hear that from you. When I think about your career, I think about do you know what matters most to you? And when was the last time you thought deeply about your core values? Mm -hmm. I mean, given what we've all just lived through, for most of us, we've either been reminded of our values or we've shifted them to some degree. And I think this is why we see some of the struggle of, of people saying, well, I value being able to be more present in my life. And I'm afraid if I go back to the office, I'm going to lose that, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so I love this tool called the Stress-Free Experiment. It was created at Stanford. Anyone can do this anywhere, individually or collectively. The magic of this is an actual pen and paper and setting a timer for 10 minutes. And during that 10 minutes, your assignment is to write about your top 
value and how your top value shows up in your everyday life. And the researchers at Stanford have conducted the stress-free experiment with everyone from entrepreneurs to executives to college students, and the results are the same. When we are clear about our values and how our values show up in everyday life, that's a tool for us to tap into greater adaptability, resilience, and new ideas. And the real magic of of understanding your values and being connected with them is that even if you your circumstances are not going to change, you can change the way you see your circumstances. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I find that to be so useful. So when you talk about creating the future now, I think about, you know, starting with your values, you know, reconnecting with your values, building on a foundation of your values, and then thoughtfully building. I had someone say this to me the other day as a concept, and I loved it building a foundation week on top of it. And here's how the foundation week works. It says, well, in light of my values and in light of what matters, I will think of each week as putting the things that matter most on my calendar first. And it's amazing how many things will fall away from your calendar when you when you really put in the things that matter first and you're forced to squeeze in the other things, maybe that don't or the busy work into those available blocks. Yeah, so I think you you already answered the next question around stress and well-being and that, you know, how what are the tools that we can alleviate because we are moving at a faster pace and change is inherent. And uh, you mentioned earlier around, you know, a culture of adaptability being, you know, honored and, and being the thing that we that we uh, value or organizations value. Um, I think in addition to what you're saying, if, you know, with the future is now with your career, with everybody reevaluating their identity, reevaluating their um, their values, you know, am I living my values? I think, you know, I talk about existential questioning during the time, the last few years, one of the existential questions is what do I value? And what's most important to me? And then the next one is, am I living those values? So everything you and I are both talking about are self-coaching principles that, you know, when you hire a coach or work with a coach, that's where they start you with is values. If you value your, your well-being, they will make time and prioritize activities that align with your well-being. So I love, love what you're saying. What do you think needs to happen? Because a lot of people, when we hear people like you and I talk about the future of work, it can be a higher level of anxiety. You know, when you focus on the past, there's kind of like depression. I think this is what psychologists say. And when you focus on the future too far out, it can be anxiety inducing. So what are some of the, the strategies in addition to the ideas you gave, which were excellent, that people can sort of, you know, keep perspective in the now as they're creating that future? What are your thoughts on that? Choice is what moves us from limited to limitless. And the only place, the only point in time where choice exists is this present moment. Mm -hmm. So when we find ourselves living in the past or worrying about the future, coming back to the present moment and thinking about how can we create choices is a very powerful tool to get unstuck. And I also think about these three simple principles I I tie to a words uh, that I find help me stay grounded. I think about accept, adapt, accelerate. Mm -hmm. You know, so often when we're living in the past, we're struggling to accept what has happened to us, around us, you know, however you perceive that. Acceptance helps bring us into this present moment. It says, you know, I can't change anything that happened back there, right? Adapt to me is that part in the continuum that says, what choices do I have? 
you know, given that these are the circumstances that they are, what choices can I create? Accelerate says, now I have a tool to move myself into the future in a thoughtful way. I'm not just speeding there, right? With, with no direction. The other piece too, is I find by contrast, eliminating two words is very helpful. And those two words are by now. Mm-hmm. You know, we so often think like, yeah, I should be promoted by now. I should be successful by now. We should be back to the office by now. I should be in love by now. I should be just by now. When we do that, we put that appointment with happiness and success as some future date on the calendar, which by the way, seems always to get moved out a little further or put on someone else's calendar. And so I think about releasing that by now as another tool to come into this present moment and say, maybe it could be right here. Maybe success and happiness and peace could be showing up moment by moment right here, right now. Yeah, I I feel like, not to put words in your mouth, but I feel like you and I have studied the same Zen Buddhist master here. (laughs) Because a lot of, yeah, a lot of what we're talking about here, you know, Eckhart Tolle, you know, be in the now. Um, I think what the pandemic has done is really illuminated and helped people see that there is a different way of, of thinking and being and working and living our lives and how we perceive our, you know, somebody could perceive a house full of kids screaming as stressful. Someone else could perceive it as being the best thing that ever happened to them. So again, it's, you know, what I hear, love what you're saying, because you're saying, you know, accept where you are, that brings you to the now make your choices and then you know rather than put a timeline or an expectation of where you should be relaxing into where you are and that's where that exhale comes into play is what I'm hearing you say yeah right and why waste the present moment as we are so often tempted to do yeah thinking about where we will go next or who we want to become next or how we will feel when we go to this place and become that person when maybe right here, right now mm-hmm. is the perfect place to be. Well, and it is because that's all there is. <laughs> right. So then, then otherwise we're fighting with reality, right? We're, we're, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great, uh, great premise. I like the way you, I like the way you positioned it. And, and uh, so, so another question I have is, uh, you know, you're in a role of leadership with a, a well-known organization. What are the top skills that you think leaders need to develop and master right now, given everything you and I are talking about? Because, one thing I will say about the word adaptable is from my vantage point, and I talk about this in my book, Super Crucial Human, that that being adaptable means adapting to humans. Like we, we've got to be better humans than ever before, listening deeper, having conscious communications, collaborating at higher levels. Those are some of the skills. What, what would you, from your vantage point, say? Co-creation is also a transcendent skill at this point. And here's why I say this. I was thinking back to a time several months ago when we were all still largely confined to our home offices, right? There was a variant flaring up. Mm-hmm. And I remember starting a research project with one of my coworkers who lives 13 states away. And in that process of co-creating an outcome together, I realized almost after the fact I felt more connected. I felt like I was a part of something bigger than myself. I felt that I wasn't alone. And as we were doing our research, it really played out in multiple ways that co-creation is a transcendent business skill Mm. and in a way connects us to that feeling of being a part of something bigger than ourselves and 
to creating an authentic relationship with someone, right? I didn't just read his research on social media and share it. I mean, we authentically built something together Mm -hmm. and that co-creation, you know, when we tap into curiosity and each other's strengths and the power of collaboration, I find that that is a powerful tool for creating a sense of community and belonging and overcoming that feeling of isolation, you know, that so many people report feeling right now. Yeah. And and I love that because I think co-creation applies at every level. So co-creating with your team members, co-creating with your peers, co-creating and leading up with your with your your boss. Like there's just so many applications of that. And I think think by the nature of co-creation, it expands our perspectives, which I believe again is sort of, you know, being able to operate from multiple perspectives is a huge future of work leadership skill attribute. It sounds like you have all of those, Karen, in spades. I'm really, really excited to have met you and and your perspectives are really insightful and valuable. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing this conversation. What I find that's so interesting about the time we're living in is that we can all contribute to a better and more equitable future. I mean, literally, you talk about this in your book, the future is ours to create. It's just that right now at this moment in time, we have a much greater universal awareness. Agreed. That's possible. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you and I are an example of that. We're both two people who are saying we're, we're excited about the future. We are optimistic about the future. In your book, you talk about that as an inside out job, which I love because a lot of times, in my opinion, people who talk about the future, they make it a concept or they talk about the trends. And all that does was, again, it increases anxiety both you and I are coming at this from a, hey, this is an exciting opportunity that if we shift our mindsets and we shift our our uh, our behaviors, it, the world's our oyster, basically, you know, and, and not to sound, uh, you know, rose colored glasses or overly optimistic, but obviously you and I believe that or we wouldn't be writing and talking about it. Right. So, <laughs> and, you know, going from the possible, you know, those aspirations we imagine yeah. to- practical and actionable, I think results from asking the question, how? I mean, when you have that grand aspiration and you need to bring it down to action. So the future is happening one step at a time. Correct. I learned from the world's leading expert on trust, David Horsager, keep asking how, 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 until you have an action that you can take immediately following the conversation, make it that real and that right now. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. I mean, Simon Sinek talks about the why, but I think the why is the values question. So the why is, why am I doing this? Or why do I want to do this? Or why do I think this is going to give me what I want to give me? But you're saying is the how is what makes the future non-stressful because you're, you're right. The future is created in the steps that we take moment by moment until we culminate in where we're arriving. So awesome. So I just would like to ask, you know, because we could talk for hours, I can tell. Uh, my, My next question is, is there anything else you'd like to add about future of work or for the listeners, any gems or, or where can they find your books? Um, where can they find you? I know you're on LinkedIn. That's where we, you and I met. Yes. yes, I am on LinkedIn. I also have a YouTube channel that you could subscribe to with quick two minute videos and a longer form series that is coming soon. I'm active as well on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. So whatever works best for you. And I <laughs> love to hear what people are discovering and Something I've discovered over time as I listen to people and where they get stuck on making changes, 
we buy into the belief that we don't have enough time. Yes, that's huge. I, yes, yes. And it's cool. Yeah. I've discovered that I wanted to share with your listeners that I found really helps me when that to-do list is looking out of control and I find myself running from meeting to meeting and thinking, well, I can't get to all these things. I just have to keep going, right? Not mm-hmm. just motion stays in motion. When I'm looking to create space and find time, three questions and a bonus question I found are helpful. One, does it have to be? Two, right. Does it have to be me? Three, does it have to be me right now? And mm-hmm. bonus question, boy, team leaders think about this. Does it have to be a meeting? You know, that's, those are, that's, <laughs> and mic drop. <laughs> Yeah, no, excellent. Karen, thank you again. I encourage all my listeners, please, 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 you know, join her on LinkedIn, follow her on Twitter, purchase her books. Karen, you were uh, generous with your time with us. And it's a pleasure to have this conversation with you. My pleasure. And as I like to say, together we rise. Together we rise. Take care. All the best. Thank you. 